Hey, Crosswalk. Good morning and happy Sabbath. Listen, we are on a campus day. What that means is that we're in between two series. Now, the reason why we did a campus day is so that we could celebrate each campus with a local preacher, as well as celebrate the culture of every single campus that we have. Now, because of COVID, Obviously, that's not pretty much the case in any of our campuses this week. However, we want to make sure that we celebrate each and every one of our campuses, which I think is really important. So we are in between a series. We're in between the new normal and Christmas list, which is our next series. But I wanted to talk to you a little bit today about knowing. Now, let me tell you why this is important. Um, in today's world, we're kind of in a rift, at least in North America, we're in a rift when it comes to knowing. So we're going to talk about what knowing means for a little bit today. The, the big theological word for it, or philosophical word for it, is epistemology, but I'm not going to really, really burden you with that particular word. But we're going to jump through it, and we're going to do a lot. This is going to be dense, so we're going to work through everything. But um, I want to start with this story. Have you ever watched a television show and realized that you knew someone on the show? Now, I've got a few friends in show business, but there's one particular friend of mine who's done extra work for at least 25 years now. And every once in a while, I will see him walk by, I will see him be a bailiff in a, a television show, or he'll do something where he just passes by the screen, and I get super excited when I see him. And I shout out, I know him. Now, I don't even know what that means. Does it mean that I've just seen him? Does it mean that I'm an acquaintance? Does it mean that he knows me? Are we friends? I mean, are we friendly? What does knowing even mean? And I think the default for us most of the time is we think about knowing as amassing information. So is that what knowing is? Esther Meek, who's a philosophical theologian, says we conclude that gaining knowledge is collecting information. And when we're done, when we're educated, when we're trained, we're an expert, then we become certain. So this idea of amassing information becomes the idea of knowledge. This is what it means to know. And yes, knowing is information, but knowing is not just information. It's not just amassing true statements justified by other true statements. Knowing is more than information. It has to be. It is personal as well because knowing is how we process that information and how we process what we think we know. And things like our experience, our gender, our race, our economic status, whether or not we've served in the military or not, what job we have, even age, all of this plays into the idea of what we know about the information that we believe we know. So knowing has to be more than simply information. It's not just bits and bytes. It's not just ones and zeros. If it were just this, then we would all be the most knowledgeable creatures on the planet because we have this thing called a cell phone. And what does the cell phone do? It allows us to have access to all the information. All the information on the planet is at our fingertips. And another thing, if knowing is just information, and we're gonna make the argument that it's more than that, but if knowing is just information, then you're only as good as your source of information. Now we all know things, right? Through education, through training, through understanding. 
But at some point, we actually had to give assent to the source of that information. That became the authority for us. And in today's world, we all know this, sources are highly suspect. I like to call this the Google problem, right? Access to information is not necessarily knowledge. And in fact, Hosea says it this way. He basically says the truth guides you well, but it's a stumbling block to a fool. So it depends on the person's disposition on whether or not that information can move into knowledge. And 10 years ago, a guy by the name of Eli Pariser did a TED talk and he wrote some articles talking about the idea that Google creates filter bubbles where we only get the kind of information that we want. Now, that was 10 years ago. And the algorithms have grown substantially since then. And because of this, our echo chambers, if you will, our sources at times are being, uh, what's the word, curated for us. And because those sources are being curated for us and with the intent, just so you know, not that you would gain more and a broader range of information, it is being it is being curated to us to keep us engaged in a same kind of thought process um, as long as we stay on those websites, whether it's YouTube, whether it's Google, whether it's any kind of search engine. They are writing Facebook, social media. What we're doing is they're writing algorithms so that we would live broader and broader in the echo chambers of our lives that they are providing for us. Now, this becomes a problem when you're in an echo chamber and your neighbor's in a different kind of echo chambers and you can't see one another because you no longer speak the same language. We'll get back to that in a bit. But I want you to know, this has happened from the beginning. We kind of call this knowing gone awry, right? We have all experienced this in the last few years and certainly in the last few months. But I just want you to know that this has been happening from the very beginning. You see, what ended up happening with Adam and Eve is they listened to the wrong source too. We're going to spend a little time in the fall, and I hope you're okay with that. Scripture, after the creation narratives show that Adam and Eve were listening to the wrong source of information. It begins like this in chapter 3, and you know it well, I'm sure. The serpent was the shrewdest of the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat of the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And we, like I said, we know this story, right? And some of us have a hard time with kind of the fantastic nature of it. We don't like the idea that a snake is talking. And of course, we believe that the snake is actually Satan. But listen, if, if you have trouble with the mechanics of this story, I want you to look to the story and the narrative behind it. Because what we see here is the snake giving her a half-truth. He's a bad source. So what she does is she corrects him. And this is an engagement. Right? And engagement in poor information is still engagement. And she says, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. We'll get back to this later towards the end of the sermon. Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. See, she felt the need to explain what she knew to the snake. He was wrong, of course. But he did give a half-truth. But of course, half-truths are not really truth, are they? And then she continues and says, it's only from the tree, from the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat of it or even touch it or you will surely die. So she corrected the misinformation. This, of course, will correct the snake. Except that, I mean, I guess we could ask it this way. Doesn't simply correcting misinformation change minds? I mean, that's the way it should be, right? If knowledge is information, make sure you've got the right information. When she gave him the right information, it should change his idea, except that he had an agenda. 
Because the snake had an agenda, he was willing to use misinformation in order to continue his agenda. While she corrected him with the correct information, it didn't change a mind. And I think we've seen that again over the last few years and months that correcting misinformation doesn't really change anyone's mind. And in fact, he comes back with actually another half truth because she didn't actually die. He said, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman. He persists because his agenda is bolstered by his information. So as he continued, he says, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. So you will know both good and evil. The snake is playing on our human desire to know. Now, what are they going to know? They're going to know both good and evil. Now, why would anyone want to know evil? You see, they had known good, but they always wondered at what they didn't know. And we have a tendency to search for knowledge, which means we're searching for information, because there's things that we don't know. We want things to blame things on. We want information to you know, help us make sense of the world. And in fact, there's a Hebrew word for it, and the word is yada. And now it sounds like yada, 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 but it's not. It's yada. And it's the Hebrew word for to know, to know intimately, to learn, to ascertain by seeing, to come to know, and to have knowledge. And in Genesis 3, 6, the story goes on like this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and the fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. Now, it didn't give her wisdom. It gave her information. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. Now, to correct any misinformation that you might have, because, again, knowledge is partly about information, um, the Hebrew is pretty clear that Adam was with her. You may have grown up thinking that it was different than that, but according to Scripture, this is what it said. So they did this together. And by the way, knowing happens in community, for sure. And, and we'll get to why this is important later. But Genesis 3, 7. At, the, at that moment, their eyes were open and then suddenly they felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. You see, they knew they were naked. All of a sudden, they gained some knowledge. Something that they didn't know before. Okay, they're naked. But they also knew shame. And that's not something that they had understood before either. Think of how that dawned on them those first parents. The idea that they were naked and then the idea that they were ashamed that they were naked. They were ashamed for the mistakes that they have made. These are experiences that they didn't know before. By the way, knowledge is a process rather than a state. And that's important that you know this dawning, this knowing, it was painful, it was hard, and it ended in the acknowledgement of the shame of their nakedness. And that phrase, knowledge is a process rather than a state, means that we're never really going to create mastery of all the information that there is out there to know. Even if you have a terminal degree in whatever it is that you do, you know you don't know. And so your life becomes a process of gaining more information, but you're not just gaining information, you're trying to gain understanding because that's what knowing is. And then you're also trying to apply that knowledge because again, that's what knowledge is. So what is your process of knowing? 
And I think this is an important question because in today's world, how do you really know anything in this time of news and fake news and misinformation and disclarity? And, and I'm always amazed that there's so many people that are so certain, even though there's so much information out there. And you know where it begins, right? It begins by sourcing. What are your sources? What is their bias? How can you get to the source of the information? A little while ago, if you want to know the truth, I, I, I got off social media because I, I couldn't kind of handle it anymore. And by the way, the amount of people that get all their information from social media is just growing exponentially. They're not even going to news sources. They're actually going to commentary about news sources from people who are not necessarily experts. That's pretty fascinating. But even going beyond the pundits that are commenting on the things that the sources say, what if you went back to the source? What if you went back to the actual source? This is what we try to do in, in biblical theology. We always try to go to the earliest manuscript. We try to get to the most information because you want to be as close to the source as you can. So, so maybe I'm getting a little dicey here by talking too much about you know, the political milieu that we've been living in. So how about this? What is your source for your knowledge of God? Do you go to scripture? Church devotionals? Finding a good source for your knowledge of God is important. As important as finding your sources for the other news and reality that you consume. But you got to remember one thing. Even as you go to the source, you got to ask this question. Who are your guides? Not just for scripture and God, but again, for politics, for health and other information. Who are your guides? Are they worthy? Have they earned your trust? And why? Do they bring you closer to the reality of life or further from it? Who are the voices in your head that you're listening to all the time? Because we all choose people to be authorities in our lives. We choose things. We choose outlets for input. And that input becomes authority in our life if we say we're going to believe in it. That's part of knowing. So man, you got to trust your guides. I got to tell you, if you're, if you're clicked in today then there must be some trust that you have in me or in crosswalk, depending on who's preaching, I suppose. <laughs> but you must have some trust listening to what in the world it is that I say. Am I your guide? Now that's okay if I'm your guide. But it can't just be one person because knowledge is something we do in community. How does your community experience knowing? In fact, what rituals are involved that bring a better understanding or knowing to your life? Does your community bring you closer to reality or further away? In other words, is there veracity? Is there truth in community? Or do you surround yourself in an echo chamber where all the voices are simply the same? Because I got to tell you, that's way more comfortable. And that's what we've been led to by our digital guides over the last 10 years. We've been led to bigger and bigger echo chambers that sound the same. It's more comfortable to be constantly confirmed in what you know, yada. But is that the best place to be? This is the social media problem. Echo chambers, algorithms, and even choosing social media that only supports your thoughts and ideas. We are no longer in a diverse community who have to sit together, who have to eat together. And we are more and more convinced that what we know is all there is to know. We become fundamentalists in our understanding of our own truth. But there is a way to combat the echo chamber. How about something like this? Making a phone call rather than texting. 
rather than a direct message, go over to somebody's house and have a chat. Having real conversations rather than posting. Now, social media, of course, is not evil. But ask yourself, is it making you a better person for the interactions you are having? Because on social media, there's not really any rituals. And you know that rituals are a way of knowing as well, right? Rituals are not just expressions of our belief systems. Rather, they themselves are ways to think, a way to know. What do I mean? Let me give you an example. When we sing together, we know. Worship is a ritual that is not just expressing what we know about God, but it actually is one of our ways of knowing God. And by the way, when we do this in community, we know together. We yada together. We gather in community because we need help in our critical thought. Good community holds us together. And good community pushes us to a better critical thought process. And critical thought goes along with good sourcing. To accept your source without criticism can be a problem. A few questions you have to ask yourself is this, and I don't care whether we're talking about politics or whether we're talking about Jesus. What is the agenda of the source I'm listening to? Whether it is the news or the church that you go to, what is the agenda of the source of your information? Because the truth is you give those sources, again, inputs, authority in your life. Can you trust them? Again, if you come to Crosswalk, if you're watching Crosswalk, it's because you trust us. You have thought about our interpretation and you've found veracity in it and in our intentions. Because you have to understand that we are in a covenantal relationship with those from whom we get knowledge, like a marriage, truly. And by the way, when we get married, we don't know it all, but we are willing to commit to the yet to be known. Let's say that again. We are willing to commit to the yet to be known. We do this with God and God, and Paul even mentions this in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, now we see things imperfectly through a glass dimly, right? Darkly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then, then, we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know is now partial and incomplete. But then I will know everything completely, just as God knows me completely. Now, when is the then? It's when time is done, right? However, and this I've always found weird. This, this paragraph does not come in a chapter about the end of time. Rather, it comes in a, the chapter of love, 1 Corinthians 13. Committing to, to a source is an act of love. And this brings us to remember one of the sayings of Paul that we find a little bit earlier. Well, sorry, in 2 Corinthians, but a little bit earlier on. It says, for we live by believing and not by seeing. So what does that mean? It means other translations say it this way. We walk by faith, not by sight. And this seems to connote this process of knowing you don't know everything right now. I don't know everything right now and that's okay. But what is that process, right? Is it, is it stumbling like Moses in the desert? Is it the maddening walk with Socrates, always being frustrated? Or is it the peaceful stroll that we have with Jesus? We walk by faith, not by sight. 
And not walking by sight does not mean being blind to the world before us. Instead, our sight needs to be guided by an authority so that we can see what is already before us. This brings us back to the former issue of that particular word, faith. Are you walking by faith? However, we would rather have epistemic security versus the wisdom that comes from experiencing the world through faith. Epistemic security versus wisdom. Epistemic security, if you will, and I apologize for using a big term. Epistemic security means we know what we know and our minds are never changed. It is the inflexibility of what we believe to be already true. This is why new information doesn't matter to us so much. When Eve corrected the snake, it did not change his intention. Now, is that knowledge? Is that wisdom? Or is that an agenda? It didn't change his mind because his agenda was already set. So she agreed that he would be her guide, her source, and Adam as well. And here's the thing. The beginning and the end of Scripture deals with knowing. Because, you know, the snake said, God doesn't want you to know good and evil because you'll be too much like him. Well, at the end of time, Jeremiah gives us a peek into the understanding of knowing at the end of time as well. It says this in Jeremiah 31, 31, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Remember, knowledge is a covenant that we make with our sources. And it says the covenant, this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife. So this covenant is new and it's a little more mature because God is expecting us to be a little more mature because we have covenanted with him in this process of knowing, yada. This is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instruction deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Our knowing will be directly from God to our hearts. And there is a commitment between those that know and those that are known. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, all right? Nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. This means that we are to be a prophetic and knowing society at the end of time. And this is really, really important in today's world, friends. Because chances are, over the last few months, over the last few years, the majority of us have become more and more ingrained in what we believe to be true. Some of it is really settled deeply in reality and some of it is a little bit further away from the actual reality that is out there. But you've got information and I've got information, but that doesn't necessarily lead us to knowing nor does it necessarily lead us to wisdom. Never allow epistemic security 
to mean that you can't change your mind and you can't allow God to work. But you got to ask yourself three questions. The first question is simply this, are your sources good? And man, I, I, wish, we could, I wish we could go beyond the agendas of the news outlets that we watch. So maybe, rather than spending so much time on those things, we should be going to the source of all that is good, of all that is righteous. Maybe we should be spending more time in Scripture than we have spent time on our politics. Maybe we need to be spending more time in Scripture than we do in our Netflix queues. Because i got to tell you, the more time you spend in Scripture, the less comfortable you become with the bias and the expression that we see in those other things. Because we begin to know God, knowing God who is righteous, and we want our righteousness to reflect His. So are your sources good? Are the guides within those sources trustworthy? When you sit down at night to watch the news, can you trust the things that the people are saying because you know their agendas for you? I have to ask myself that question every time I get up to speak. What is my agenda for my church? What do I want them, where do I want them to be? How can I guide them to what I believe is truth and knowledge? And as I do that, I got to tell you, I have to remind myself that my goal is that you might know Christ better and that you may become a more Christ-like person in the world. And it's hard for me, like it's hard for you, because I've got biases, I've got agendas, I've got a particular kind of knowledge that comes from who I am and what I've experienced in my life and what I believe to be true and even the voices that I allow into my life. But when I sit down to write a sermon, I got to try and clear that out. I have to pray that out of the room and let the Holy Spirit be my guide. Are your guides trustworthy in what you consume? And the third question you have to ask yourself is this, is there room for faith? Because we walk by faith, not sight. So is there room for faith and therefore is there room that your mind might be changed? And I don't know about that. We harden our hearts against change. Epistemic security is what we want versus wisdom. If you never hear yourself saying, I used to think that, but then I learned, and now I think, if you can't say that phrase, or you've never said that phrase, then your knowledge is like concrete. It's not supple, it's not winsome. It doesn't learn, it doesn't grow, because it is bound by the authorities that you've been listening to. Now, you might be thinking, oh, well, he's coming from this particular point of view or this particular point of view. I'm talking to everyone today. There's a great divide between us. And if we allow that divide to separate us, then I'll tell you what hurts. It's not just our notion of America. And for those of you who are not in America, I apologize, but we need to speak to this. It's not just the notion of America, it's the notion of a unifying God. Because if you think 
everything that is correct comes from the left or everything that is correct comes from the right, then you are missing the third way. You're missing the way of Jesus that's going to transcend both of those ideas and have some of each, but not be bound to either one. We need a new category. Followers of Christ need a different category. And if we don't do that, if we don't lean into that, can we ever really say that we know God? Because that's what we're ultimately searching for. That process of knowing that we commit to from the sources that we give authority to in our lives. I don't want that to be anything but Christ. So yes, when I look at news, I've got to look at it through the filter of Christ. When I look at our leaders say things, I've got to look at it through the filter of Christ. And if it does not line up, then I have to reevaluate who I serve. My hope for Crosswalk, for this congregation, for those who call themselves followers of Christ, and ultimately for the world, is that they might know Jesus better through me through my words, through my understanding, through my knowledge, and through my knowing. I've had to commit again and again to making sure that that source is Jesus. And that is Jesus who is filling my head with wisdom. Not just information, I can get that anywhere, but I need wisdom to come from the Lord. And by the way, as Hosea said, for some the Word of God is such a beautiful wisdom, and for some, it is nothing but a stumbling block. So how do you know what you know? And who do you know it from? Are your sources good? Are your guides good? And are you willing to continue to learn and grow? Because that, ultimately, is the wisdom of God. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, be with us in the process of knowing. Inhabit our rituals when we sing together, as they are expressions of what we know about you as well as ways to learn about you. And Lord, in the midst of everything that we've taken on today to think about and study, help us to remember that our ultimate goal is to know you above all and be assured of your love, your grace, your mercy, your compassion for your people and beyond. Lord, remind us that you must be our source. In your name I pray. Amen.